let's uh, recap what's happening in this passage. So Jesus has been born to Mary and Joseph. They named him, and now, as required by the law, they bring him to the temple. There's an old guy at the temple, Simeon, who is righteous and devout, and he's walking with God closely, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's consolation? Comfort. He is waiting for the one who has been promised by the Old Testament, which he knows. Um, He's waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises there. So God promised Moses that someday a prophet would come. God promised David that an heir would reign on the throne forever. God spoke through Isaiah and said that a child would be born to a virgin and his name would be God with us. This is the consolation that Simeon is waiting for. What's more, this passage tells us that Simeon, because he's righteous and devout and walks closely with God, had heard through the Holy Spirit that he would get to see the Messiah before he died. This is like a personal promise that God gave just to Simeon. And we don't know much about Simeon. We, um, we can assume he probably had a family or a job or other things, but all we know that was that at this particular day, at this particular time, he was moved by the Spirit to go to the temple courts, and he sees this baby. He holds the baby, he blesses him, he speaks to his parents and confirms what Mary and Joseph had already heard from God about this miraculous child. And then he says to God, that's it, I'm good. You did what you promised, now I can die in peace. And then the story jumps to another character, Anna. She's a widow who had only been married for seven years before her husband died, and then she spent the rest of her life in the temple, worshiping and praying and fasting, and somehow, in that moment, she understood that this tiny baby was the Messiah, and she began to spread the word to other people in Jerusalem who were also waiting for this little baby. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we unpack your word together and as we think about what it means to live in the peace that you've promised, that we would hear your voice. Speak to us by your spirit. Surround us with comfort. Surround us with your presence. And let your words be heard today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in the season of Advent. We're going to talk about that a lot. The four weeks leading up to Christmas, and in these weeks, the church waits, just like the people of Israel did, for a long hoped for Messiah, the long wait that we're still in to see Christ's kingdom come in fullness. And last week, Pastor Nestor taught us about the hope that the Magi had, hope that drew them to an unfamiliar place, hope that caused them to worship, hope that changed everything for them. And this week, we consider peace. And so this isn't just like the silent night, holy night, everything is quiet kind of peace. This isn't even like the Woodstock hippie bell-bottoms peace. This is not even the kind of peace that says everything is going great in my life and nothing is wrong. This is the kind of peace that says even when I'm facing uncertainty, I believe that God will do what he says he's going to do. How do we have that kind of peace? I've been watching um, a series on Netflix over the last few weeks called The Crown. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it documents the life of Queen Elizabeth and the royal family, and in a recent episode, she gives a speech, which this is like a historical event, this actually happened, a speech where she calls 1992 an annus horribilis, um, which means horrible year in Latin. And so as she describes this horrible year, I mean, her, her children's marriages fell apart, her castle burned down in part, um, and the like approval ratings of the British monarchy had just plummeted this year. So she's saying this was a horrible year. And I've heard the same thing said about 2020. Horrible year. Pandemic, international war starting, 
you know, it was a lot. And for people who like consistency and certainty, it's been a tough few years. And even in the last few weeks, as the TDSB had some school closures due to um, educational support workers striking, I had this feeling of like, oh man, uncertainty again. I don't know what's gonna happen. Will the schools be open? Will I be able to work? And maybe in the last few years, or even right now, you've faced uncertainty that has nothing to do with global events. It just has to do with the stuff of being human. Maybe you faced the uncertainty of a difficult diagnosis and wondered if your health will ever be good enough to do the things you wanna do. Maybe you faced the uncertainty of infertility and wondered if your family will ever look the way you dream it might. Maybe you faced the uncertainty of job loss and wondered if you're gonna be able to make ends meet. Maybe you face the uncertainty of a broken relationship and wonder, is restoration even possible? Is restoration even something I can handle? Maybe you face the uncertainty of singleness and wonder how many more bad first dates you can actually take. Maybe you face the uncertainty of academia and wonder if all of the effort that you're putting in now will actually turn into what you hope for. How do we find peace when we're faced with that type of uncertainty? How do we cling to the promises of God when we don't know what's ahead? I was talking to a friend of mine recently. She had posted on Instagram that, she, that her husband, they had just recently gotten married, her husband gets up at 5 a.m. to set up their church. He gets, gets the chairs all set up at church. Then he comes home, he makes her breakfast, he cleans the house, then he goes back to church to serve again. And she was just remarking at how wonderful this is. And it is wonderful. And um, it's not just wonderful because that's really nice for her and it feels good to have somebody make you breakfast, but it's wonderful because this actually um, fulfilled a promise that she felt God make to her in prayer. So 10 years earlier, 10 years ago, she felt like God said through his spirit, you're going to marry a servant-hearted person. But in those 10 years, she wasn't dating people. She, she was waiting. And I asked her, what was that like to, to feel like you receive a personal promise from God and then spend 10 years waiting and hoping? And she said, there were times when I thought that I would never get married. There were times when I thought that God was holding out on me or that I was even cursed and wouldn't ever have a romantic relationship. And she said she had to learn to go to God with that pain. God was the only one who could hold that for her. And she would bring it to him and, and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, and if not, if God doesn't do this thing that I hope for, he is still good. And she needed to learn to say that. Now, the fact that she got married this summer and has this incredible husband who is servant-hearted, it's not only God fulfilling a unique promise to her, but God's a story of the faithfulness of God sustaining her in the time that she was waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. I wonder, too, how God sustained Anna. So she was young when she got married because it says she, she was a widow for so many years, probably 60 years that she was a widow alone um, without her husband. But the passage says that she devoted herself to prayer and to fasting and to worship and that she stayed in the temple for those 60 or so years. For 60 years, she brought the pain and the grief of losing her husband, the pain and the grief of being a widow, the pain and the grief of being kind of at the bottom rung of society. She brought it to the Lord. And because of that, 
Because she had found herself in the temple bringing her pain to the Lord, she was there when the Messiah came. Peace came from her pain because she trusted God, she waited on him, she spent time with him. Now there are three, th three things that I think will help us to experience that kind of peace. The first one is that we need to find ourselves in the temple. And I am not suggesting that you spend 60 years in this sanctuary because the pews are really hard and because the temperature in here is wildly unpredictable. But I am saying that in God's presence, we find God's peace. Like Simeon, we need to hear the voice of God as it's revealed through scripture, as it's um, given by the Holy Spirit to our hearts through discernment with other believers. Now, there are examples in scripture and in um, modern times of God speaking in all sorts of ways to all sorts of people that are not actively listening to him. So God can move in all sorts of ways, but, but our posture, waiting in God's presence expectantly, gives us an opportunity to hear from him. In addition, we know that God's presence is where God's peace will arrive. So Jesus was brought to the temple into God's presence. That's where the peace found Simeon and Anna. In the same way, we can be watching and waiting and expecting God's peace to come when we're in his presence. It's like the parable of the watchful servants. And Luke says they were immediately ready to open the door to the master. They were watching and waiting we want to be in God's presence because we want to be ready for God's peace. But, you know, we don't place ourselves in God's presence just as like an exchange, like I'll, I'll spend time praying if you give me your peace. We spend time in God's presence because it's a good place to be. The psalmist writes, my soul longs, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Our souls are just designed for this kind of communion with God to have that kind of communion through prayer and through reading scripture, through time spent listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, through time spent in fellowship with other believers. Now, like Anna, you could devote yourself day and night to being in God's presence in those ways. But for many of us, being in God's presence comes amid other commitments and responsibilities. I think for a lot of us, making a dedicated effort to spend even a small chunk of time Seeking God's presence each day goes a long way. It might be 15 minutes in the morning that you spend looking at scripture, praying, listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, discerning that for your own life. Um, it might be with the Advent devotionals that we've written and just take a few minutes in the morning to reflect on a question or reflect on scripture. But I think the sustained practice of seeking God's presence is one of the ways that we find peace in times of uncertainty. The second way, or the second thing we need to know, is that we won't get to see the whole picture. Like Simeon, we need to be able to say that it's enough to get a glimpse of God's goodness, to see the face of this little baby, and then say, I'm at peace. I can go in peace. I think there's a parallel here to Moses. So, Moses had been walking with the people of Israel through the desert. God allowed Moses to have a glimpse of the promised land, and that was it. He didn't get to see Israel flourishing. He didn't get to see them build houses and settle down. He got to see a glimpse, and then his part of the story was done. 
Simeon, in the same way, saw this promised child and didn't get to know how the rest of history would unfold. He didn't get to see how Jesus would save the people from, from the evil empire. He had waited for the consolation of Israel, waited a long time and felt this tiny Messiah in his arms and then said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He surrendered his life to God in peace, knowing that he only saw a small part of the picture that God had promised to him. So peace doesn't come when we have the whole story figured out, when we have every detail under our control. Peace comes when we surrender, knowing that we won't know it all knowing that God is the only one who knows the end of the story. And that's the tension that we live in as people of faith who are still waiting. We're still waiting for God's kingdom to be made full in our presence. We see glimpses of it. We see bits and reminders of how God is working. Jesus is coming again, but we don't know the whole story. We've been promised that Jesus will come again, but no one knows the day or the hour. We've, we've been promised a new heaven and a new earth and renewal of creation, but we don't know how and when that will happen. This is the consolation that we wait for, us at Knox in Advent 2022. This is what we wait for. Can we believe that God's promises to us are true even while we wait for them to be fulfilled? Knowing that we might not see the full picture in our lifetime, and I think this is an area where elderly people in our congregation can lead us. Because I think of the saints who have led this church community over the last 200 years, who made decisions, stepped forward in faith, trusting that God was doing something here, but never knowing what that would look like. And I think about the people who will be here in 50 or 100 years, and what will they think about us? What will they think about how we made decisions now, knowing that there is so much of the story yet to unfold? We, we trust in God's hand, even as he works things together and we won't know what's happening long after our small part is completed. I think the third thing that we know in order to experience peace and uncertainty is to know God's promises. Both the personal promises and the corporate. So corporate just means for the whole body. So we need to know what God promises us. God might give you a specific promise, something very personal like he did for my friend, Especially if you're spending time in his presence, you may hear from the Holy Spirit something, a vision, a dream, an image that feels like a, a promise from God. But God also gives us hundreds of promises in scripture that are for everyone who trusts in him, that they're for the whole body. And in order to know God's peace, we need to know these promises. And they're not just nice, feel-good words. They do feel good, it's nice to read them, but these are, these are words that have been spoken by the king of creation to you for your good. He knows you. He loves you. He wants you to be able to trust him. And that's an incredible gift. So we need to know these promises because they're important for us to understand who God is. So what are these promises? Rapid fire style. God promises you peace. Peace I give to you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. God promises you strength. God promises to be with you. God promises to complete the good work that he starts. God promises to give you rest. God promises to redeem and forgive you. God promises to give you wisdom. God promises to answer when you call. God promises to show you where to go. 
God promises to fill you with his spirit. Now, these are just 10 promises out of thousands in the Bible. I was, I was doing some research and I looked up, you know, somebody must have counted these. And I got numbers that were like somewhere between 3,000 and 8,000. So I think the biblical scholars have some work to do here in quantifying what is actually a promise. But it's clear that God makes promises in scripture that are for us. The promises that God makes in scripture are significant because they show us who God is. They show us how he's going to care for us. They point to his faithfulness to people at other times and what we can expect from him now. The Apostle Peter says, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Church, respond to God's promises. Cling to them. Believe them. Take peace from them. Walk in faith because of them. I don't think it's fair to talk about this theme of peace in uncertainty without acknowledging that for some people, life is incredibly unfair and very difficult. And for many of us, we have seasons where things beyond our control cause peace to be very elusive. I think it's fair to say that. I think about some current events and how far from God's promises it seems like the world can be. It seems sometimes like darkness even comes between us and God's promises. A few weeks ago, I read the news report about a nightclub shooting in Colorado. How beloved image bearers of God had their lives cut short. Was God not fulfilling his promises to them? What about victims of abuse? Where is God? What about the desperately poor who wait for relief? Where is God? Anna was widowed at a young age and she became vulnerable in society. She had the life she dreamed of snatched away. She knew grief and yet she chose to wait for the Messiah. She brought her pain to God every day. And I don't know the answers to all of this, but I know that what has been true in my life and anecdotally in the lives of others is that when you know the promises of God and you're waiting for God to show up, there have been times where I ought to feel abandoned, and I haven't. There have been times when I think I'm completely alone, yet I don't feel alone. Somehow, humanly speaking, when I should have felt left by God, I haven't. And it's been his promises that have brought me so much comfort in those moments. I felt God's presence with me in those moments in ways that defied my own expectation. When Anna recognized who Jesus was, she told people. She didn't keep that information to herself. She gave others peace through her witness of who Jesus was. And I think we too can give others peace through our own testimony, through our own witness to God's faithfulness. There might be people in your life who desperately need to know the reason for the hope that we have and they're longing for the kind of peace that only God can give. 
I wonder too if Anna had other people around her that in those moments of pain spoke God's promises over her, reminded her that she was not alone. What would it look like for our church body to do that for somebody who's walking through so much pain, to surround them and remind them of God's promises? I believe that's one way that he ministers to people who are walking through that type of pain. Community. Church, we're still waiting. We don't know when God's kingdom will come in full. We don't know when Christ will come again. We don't know when every tear will be wiped away. And so we wait. We long, we hope. And in our waiting, let's hold tightly to the hope that we profess. Because he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. This is the reason that we can have peace in times of uncertainty. Amen. We're going to close with a few reflection questions. I encourage you to reflect on how you can um, bring this into your week.